0: Welcome to the Cybersecurity Readiness podcast series with Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is the author of Cybersecurity Readiness, a holistic and high performance approach. He has been studying cybersecurity for over a decade, authored and edited scholarly papers, delivered talks, conducted webinars, consulted with companies, and served on a cybersecurity SWAT team with chief information security officers. Dr. Chatterjee is an associate professor of Management Information Systems at the Terry College of Business, the University of Georgia, and visiting professor at Duke University's Pratt School of
1: Engineering. Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode of the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Herschel Parekh, CEO and co-founder of Tromso. Tromso empowers developers and security teams to collaboratively and effortlessly build secure software. Herschel, welcome. As uh, we discussed during our planning meeting, our theme for our discussion today will revolve around reducing the disconnect between security and development teams. Obviously, you're an expert in the area and I'll let you introduce yourself, talk a little
2: bit about your background, and then we can proceed with the discussion. Fantastic. Thank you, Dave. It is my absolute pleasure to be a guest on this podcast. Just to give you a little bit of background to the audience, especially, I've spent quite a bit of time in the space of cybersecurity, done a lot of things, started my career as a network security engineer back in the day when firewalls was a big thing. And then eventually, most recently, I was the head of security of a company, B2B tech company. So as a part of some of the previous roles, I've built and scaled security operations programs, software security programs, compliance functions, things like that. So I've gotten my hands dirty in quite a few things. And as a part of that journey, we've seen a lot of common themes and issues come up again and again. So got tired of a few of them and decided to solve them by starting a company. And here we are.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. In fact, if you allow me, I'd like to share with the listeners an excerpt from an industry report. And I think that sets the context for our discussion quite well. The report says, many information security engineers don't understand software development, and most software developers don't understand security. Developers and their managers are focused on delivering features and meeting time-to-market expectations rather than on making sure that the software is
2: secure so your thoughts, your reactions? I would empathic, emphatically agree with that. At the end of the day, we all are hired to do our specific roles. And this is the world of specialization, right? Like uh, if you hire a security engineer, you hire that person to be a really, really good security engineer. Absolutely. And the challenge with the current world of software development or software security or you know, security operations, incident response, what have you, is that It's a very complex field. To be a good software developer, you need to be good at a lot of different things. Security is one of them. To be a good security engineer, you have to be good at a lot of different things, be very updated, be very fresh technically, keep up with very, very dynamic world. There's not enough time to be the best security engineer and The best software developer, as well, at the same time. It's not possible, which is obvious, right? Now, what we see in the world is software developers are very busy. They deal with very complex technical architectures and they know a little bit about security, maybe, but they're not the best at it, right? And same thing. So, yeah, I mean, I 100% agree. Software developers should be, and rightly so, they're good at software development, not everything else. And the same holds for security. Absolutely. So, uh, given your experience in the field, we have already
1: mentioned why there is a disconnect in the sense that if i am a specialist in security and you are a specialist in software development i understand my world very well you understand yours and you know i'm incentivized by ensuring the product is highly secure you are incentivized by making sure the product has all the functionalities and it gets to market on time so our incentive systems are often not aligned that's one of the things that i think is a challenge or it causes the disconnect what do you feel
2: yeah i mean that's that's a good insight right i mean they at the end of the day we're all humans and as humans we would focus on getting our things done quickly efficiently with a higher quality like if you're proud of your work so if as a developer you are focused and incentivized by your leadership on just churning out features as fast as you can so that's what the developer would do if you're incentivizing the developers on building fast feature features fast but at a high quality and you're measuring them on that then that's what they would do which is push code rapidly but also potentially build at a higher quality because they know they're being measured against that the unfortunate reality of our current world is most engineering leadership does not measure Developers or does not incentivize developers on building high quality code that is also secure to a reasonable extent, right? I doubt if most companies are in the business of building the most secure software ever. That's just not the reality of the world. So the idea is how do you find that balance of being agile, being fast? But also being able to incorporate security to a reasonable extent that works for the business. So I think you're right, that incentivization structure doesn't exist today. In cases where it does exist, for example, where they are required by regulation or required by law, you do end up seeing that outcome, which is developers do follow certain security practices because they are forced to do so. So it all goes back to what are the top-level objectives, what are the incentives towards, geared towards, and that's the outcome that we would see true very true
1: now what are you seeing out there in companies you mentioned about finding that right balance yeah how are companies i'm just curious to know how companies are finding the right balance what practices what structures are in place to achieve the dual goal of quality software that is also very secure
2: yeah i think The one theme that we've seen more frequently occurring nowadays over the past few years is is that there's a little bit more buy-in from the development leadership or the engineering leadership to actually give security its due course, right? So earlier, or in, in a lot of cases, even today, security was being positioned as the responsibility of this one team that sits in the corner of the building and they do everything security and everybody else does their own things now the change that we've been seeing and this is partially also because security has become a board level topic has become an executive discussion topic so companies are being held accountable for breaches there there is much more attention towards it so the leadership of the company the executive leadership of the company they start focusing on cybersecurity practices readiness risk posture and things like that so there is a little bit more acceptance in the engineering world where the CTO, VP Eng, Director of Engineering, what have you, those technical leadership people, they have started to, to ask about it, I guess. It's not very, very common just yet. We still see a lot of friction, but there has been some adoption that, hey, security is everyone's responsibility. Let's work on it jointly together. We've seen that come up more frequently than before.
1: Okay. That's very encouraging to hear. In fact, when I was authoring my book, Cybersecurity Readiness, a Holistic and High-Performance Approach, my research led to the identification of 17 success factors. A couple of them centered around creating a VR in it together culture, Mm -hmm. centered around cross-functional participation. Essentially, the key messages were that we have to get everyone involved towards creating a high-performance information security culture. From the standpoint of the developers and the security folks, what that meant, are they also aligned? Are they together? What is an organization doing structurally? So they are not in a collision path, but they are working cohesively as one integrated team working towards a common goal. What that prompts me to think is to achieve that, organizations will have to make suitable adjustments to their structure, how they build software. And I believe that's been addressed in the methodologies that are being pushed forward these days. And of course, that has to be coupled, supported by good incentive systems. Right. And once again, you are the expert in this area. So I look forward to your insights as to what exactly is going on. Why is it that these teams have to be separate? Why can't they be fused and work as one team Towards the delivery of a particular product. Just curious
2: to know. Yeah, that has been a question for so long within this space, right? Like everyone within the, the software security space, we all expect that why can't just developers know how to write secure code, right? Like, why do we have to do anything? We can focus on more complex, sophisticated problems and developers take care of the basic hygiene stuff that they just should. But I mean, unfortunately, that's just not the reality, right? I mean, I think even basic security practices, which seem basic to security people, sometimes are not followed by the developers. A lot of times it is about education and awareness. It's not It's not always that the developers want to take the wrong decision or don't want to address security issues. Correct. correct. Most of the times they actually do want to, but they just don't know how to, or even if they want to and they know how to, building secure software is sometimes much more difficult, several times more difficult as compared to just getting it done without security. So now you have given the decision-making authority of whether to spend more time and energy building something in a secure way, or just get done with with the feature that they need to build, right? So if if I was a developer, a junior developer, for example, I mean, probably would be obvious to me, like I would just get done with my things if security was so much more difficult. So I think it goes back to is security easy enough? And obviously this is a very broad statement. security being easy is is a very nebulous statement too. But at the end of the day, what we are seeing now in in a lot of the modern security teams is they make secure path, the easier path, right? So from a developer's perspective, building something with security or without security is almost the same. To give you an example, if I'm writing a new application, I need to store secrets if I store my secret in code, obviously it's bad, I shouldn't do it, but if I had no other resource available, it would be incredibly hard for me as a developer to go figure out a secrets management system and then set it up and start using it before I could do that simple job of getting my service deployed. But if secrets management system was already made available by the security team, so now for me as a developer Whether I store secret in code is the same level of difficulty or easiness as compared to using a secrets management system that's already available. Obviously, I would choose, in a lot of cases, I would choose the the more secure choice. So I think it's a combination of several things, which is developers are not really aware of the the decisions they should be making. Security is not always easy for them. They're not incentivized to take the, the right decision. They're not incentivized to make The secure decision. So this is what makes it really complex, right? Our world is uh, nowhere close to being automated by bots because it is complex.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you were talking, I'm thinking about the number of patch releases and, you know, patch management being such a challenge for organizations. And I wish we were in a world where the software development was more secure or was more robust. So you don't have to have that many patch releases. I don't know how. You would react to that, but that's kind of my thinking of this issue at a high level. Moving along, share with the listeners some best practices for reducing the disconnect. What would be certain things that folks could do in their organization within their
2: sphere and scope of influence? That's a good question. One of the things that I've seen work really well in a lot of cases is where we make, as security professionals, when we make security very crystal clear and very binary. So if, for example, on one extreme, if we go to a dev team and hand them a PDF report or a spreadsheet with thousands and thousands of vulnerabilities and say, hey, developer, go do something about this, right? That is not a good productive conversation because they have no idea which ones is important. Obviously, they don't have the resources to fix all of them. So on the other hand, if you go to the development team and say, hey, look, these are the you know 12,356 issues that we found, but I know most of these are not really relevant. How about if we fix 100 of them in the first 30 days, and then we, we address the next batch of 200 in the next quarter, and then so on and so forth. Let's manage our risk collaboratively. I'll help you figure out which ones are the most important bugs. What is the high priority for you? And you tell me whether is this even possible or not possible, right? So I think one angle to this is we should do our diligence on the data, and we should help make their jobs a little bit easier by providing them ways on how they can actually achieve something. But on the other hand, what we also see a lot of times is even if you go take that you know take that list of twelve thousand six hundred issues down to a hundred issues, they still will say, "Yeah." No, thank you. Right, this could happen. Now, in that case, a lot of times, what happens is then the security teams get left with the accountability of it. Because if something goes bad, then all fingers go point to the security team, saying you guys didn't do anything or you you gals didn't do anything. But in that to address that, then we have to we have to fix the accountability of things, right? So it is not the responsibility of the security team to remediate risks because in most cases, they cannot, right? It's the engineering team or the developers who need to remediate the risk. So if developers or dev teams are saying, no, they cannot, then we basically assign the risk to them, right? So now it's their decision. So what that calls for is a more data-driven structure of how you manage security, more accountability. And there has to be a top-down buy-in of who's responsible for what? The security team is responsible for understanding the risk, identifying the risk and highlighting it to the right people. But if the people who own the underlying risk, which is the folks that are managing and building that infrastructure or software or the systems, if they don't want to fix it, then it's really, we have to just hold them accountable for it. It's not like we can go and patch the things that they own and manage. That's just not going to happen. So, Making security easy for them, making it easy for the dev teams to actually go and remediate things that are really important and matter to them, but at the same time, holding them accountable for their own decisions. I think it's the the two-way things that really help us get out of this ditch. And the other day we were talking about this example, like, look, we all know that we should all brush our teeth a couple of times a day, floss our teeth and maintain general dental hygiene, and the dentists are there to give us guidance on how to do it easily. And when something goes bad, they'll come in and fix it. But if I don't brush my teeth every day or floss my teeth every day, it's not the dentist's responsibility, right? It's It should be my responsibility. So that's how I view the world of you know, security, where security teams are sort of those experts where they can tell people like, hey, guys, look, this is important, we need to fix this. But at the end of the day, it's your call and we'll, we should hold you accountable for it.
1: You know, I couldn't agree with you more. You're essentially uh, speaking my language in many ways because I've been harping about the top management setting the tone, the top management recognizing what's the right approach to institutionalizing security in the organization. So therefore, it goes without saying, to me, it's a no-brainer that unless there is shared accountability, shared responsibility, top-down support, unless the performance evaluation system is suitably modified, unless work structures are suitably redefined, so the security team and the development team don't work separately, don't work in isolation, that they work as one cohesive team, unless these measures are taken in a deliberate manner, And you mentioned about metrics. It's very important to at least track a couple of metrics that taps not only into the quality of the product, but also it's like a stage-by-stage tracking of how well is security being infused into the product at the appropriate stages in the solutions development lifecycle. We're all familiar with the Agile Development Methodology. I think that's the right way to, to do it. Like you go back and forth, you constantly get feedback. and the way I see it is this is a great opportunity where the security team, the software team are working together in an agile approach, where they're constantly reviewing each other's work and trying to make the corrections before it becomes a major problem, like you talked about receiving a PDF with thousands some issues and I'm looking at it and saying, so from where do I start? So a lot of things need to be done differently, but there is a huge need for it. It, This brings back memories of the disconnect between the technology people and the business people, which was the focus of discussions for a long time since the late 90s, that how do you reduce the disconnect between business and IT? I find the same problem re-emerging in the form of the security people, and the development people. So it's the same problem, just a different context. The challenges are very similar, but it's always good to get thoughts and insights and feedback from subject matter experts such as yourself. Once again, going back to our discussion when we were thinking about what all we should be addressing, something that came up were the best practices for building and scaling a modern application security program. So what are those best practices? And what do you mean by a modern application security program?
2: Yeah. So I think um, for far too long, we've operated application security or software security in general as a fundamentally different phase from development, right? So developers would do their job and then software security or AppSec people would come in, perform these tests and assessments and file a bunch of tickets and then assign it to developers and get done with it, right? And hoping that they would go and fix it. I hope there's, they're still filing tickets as compared to giving them a PDF report with a thousand issues, right? So that is a very step-by-step approach, which is probably good fit for a waterfall model of development. However, the world has moved on since, or at least it's in the process of moving on. Now, if you have a discrete step of Like, hey, developers, once you're done coding, then we'll do all the assessment. That step usually doesn't come because it's a development nowadays. It's more of an iterative process, right? There's very rapid releases, rapid development, rapid deployments. And it's micro feature by feature. There is microservices architecture. So there's no more monolithic applications. And the rapid delivery of software makes it imperative that security get involved in it in a continuous manner. Because if development is continuous, deployment is continuous, then security should also be continuous, but it's unfortunately not today. So how do you how do you make security continuous? How do you make security a first-class citizen of software development process? I think that's what I really mean by... Modern application security program where application security is much more native to software development in general. And, you know, we've talked about security in SDLC, we've got maturity models like BSAM and OpenSAM, and we've talked about shift left for a very, very, very long time. Unfortunately, a lot of the shift left conversation has constrained itself to running scans and scanning and running a bunch of tools and performing assessments. Obviously, it's much more than that, right? I mean, software security is a lot of things, vulnerability scanning being one of them. So building a security program that is agile, that is fast, that works at the same speed as the DevOps teams or development teams that are using DevOps processes. I think that's what I mean by modern application security program. And and the fundamental shift in this is, As AppSec people, we have to understand how DevOps actually works. What is a source control system? What is a CI-CD system? How do they both connect? How does deployment happen? All of those things need to be understood really, really well. And then we can build certain practices into the SDLC. The one big change is what I mentioned earlier, which is now there is no more a single discrete step where developers would stop and say, hey, security, come in and do the assessment. Like That doesn't happen. You can do an assessment, but that doesn't mean that developers will stop building code. So what that means is before you're even able to finish an assessment and give a report back to developers, they have already moved on to other things. So They're likely not going to come back and address the debt that you just found out. So one of the key decisions or the key shift in how you build AppSec that works really well is is what we call a security guardrails, right? So it's security guardrails, or some people call it paved roads or whatever that is. But what it actually means is a set of controls, a set of secure defaults that developers should follow, right? So now the assumption here is if developers are free to build and deploy services and write code the way they want, security teams don't have the time to stop them and do an assessment and and ask them to go back and fix it. So security takes a proactive approach and says, you can do whatever you want as long as you are working within this boundary. You can define those parameters and then say, hey, you can only use container images or host images from this internal registry. Like This is the approved blessed image, only use that. You can only use secrets if you're using a secrets management system, or you can only use these cryptographic standards, or you can only use these cipher strengths. So Security teams define those security primitives, which then get applied at developers' life cycle. So when developers are writing code, those checks and balances, they just happen by itself by automatically. So that's what I mean by security guardrails. And that's the type of thing which is automating security controls and expectations into the developer's workflow. That's what helps people scale AppSec really quickly and prevent a lot of the vulnerabilities from coming in or prevent risk from manifesting itself in production.
1: I think that's a great approach because the extent to which you can leverage the power of automation to allow development to progress at its normal pace and yet achieve the goals of security. So you're achieving both the goals of security and a timely delivery of your software. To achieve those dual goals, you need the power of automation. And that's good to hear that there are Automation platforms that are being developed and touted that organizations can avail of to make life a little easier. Right. I'd like to touch upon another thing that we talked about the other day, and that's about empowering the AppSec teams so they can focus their time on more high level strategic work. I found this very
2: interesting. Yeah. What exactly were you alluding to here? Yeah. So I'll give you a Example. So I talked to a lot of AppSec engineers almost every week. And my intention behind those conversations is just to learn how do they do their job, right? And the idea is for me to understand that deeply so I can make their life easier. What we discovered is a lot of these AppSec teams, their primary job is to run assessments, run scanning tools. And, and let's just face it, you know, scanning systems exist in every single AppSec team. They produce a lot of findings, but not all of it is useful so a lot of the appsec engineers they're just doing busy work taking findings from different scanning systems understanding what it actually means triaging it prioritizing it filing jira tickets tracking it pinging people on emails or slack or microsoft teams or what have you following up on it all of it is ditch digging work right it's very manual work it's it's the work that is actually not security work, right? It's filing tickets and following up with people. A lot of security engineers actually end up doing that because they are focusing on you know, vulnerability management or uh, using the scanners to do something. Um, those are the things that should be and can be automated. Um, and at Tromso, we've spent a lot of time automating those manual processes. So then the security engineers can actually focus on doing some security engineering work, which is focus on more higher order strategic problems. So let's let's figure out the complex security holes that might exist or the complex bugs that you just have seen being discussed. And is your organization affected by that? So spending more time in real security work as compared to filing tickets and following up with people and sending emails and sending reports and stuff like that, like that should be automated. So that's what I really meant. And there are systems and tools available to automate that manual work. It just hasn't taken a wide adoption within the industry just yet.
1: Fantastic. Uh, Harshal, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. I think you shared some very interesting insights for our listeners, but I'd like to give you the opportunity to pull it all together and wrap it up for us. So what are your final thoughts?
2: Yeah. So it's always difficult to wrap an interesting conversation into a final (laughs) sentence, but look, the reality is we are all, as software security people, as security people, we are faced with this major transformation that is happening within the technology space in our companies. With more adoption of cloud, with faster development cycles and releases, there is no choice for security other than automation. Like we just have to automate things; otherwise, we will not be able to keep up. We are already not able to keep up with it, and automation has to be smart automation. and And every single appsec team or every single security team is struggling with almost the same types of problems. Not 100% same, but it's very similar. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel. So we have to think about these problems in terms of how do we scale our security organization? It's not like we are going to magically create hundreds of thousands of security professionals all of a sudden. So we are already facing a talent shortage. How do we solve that talent shortage problem? How do we scale ourselves? And the answer is automation.
1: (laughs) I love it. So let me add my two cents to that. So essentially, if I could summarize what we talked about at a higher level, I'd approach it using the lens of people, process, and technology. You already touched upon how technology can be leveraged to automate certain tasks that don't deserve too much human time, so humans can focus on something more valuable, more strategic. But we also talked about, from a process standpoint, how important it is to ensure that The security teams, the app development teams are working in alignment, are working cohesively, are working together, hand-in-hand, whereby they are not in conflict. And that process has to be supported by an appropriate incentive system in place. So the performance evaluation system must be suitably modified with the blessings of top management. And finally, people. People still are the most important part of the equation. I couldn't agree with you more that we absolutely need technology to help us with security. But still, there's the people who still make everything run. They are the ones who are building the technology, who are using it. So to enhance their level of awareness, to provide them the right training, to make sure they are at the leading edge of things, that's a constant pursuit of any forward-thinking organization. So I hope discussions such as this inform, influence, inspire management. to take the necessary steps or they might find validation in what they're already doing. And so I'd like to thank you and your peers for all the great work that you do in the software development and security community to keep us as safe as possible. So it's been a real pleasure, Herschel.
2: Thanks again for joining me for a chat. The pleasure is all mine, Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Thank you so much for having me here.
1: A special thanks to Herschel Parekh for his time and insights. If you like what you heard, please leave the podcast a rating and share it with your network. Also, subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.
0: The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance only. The discussants assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained in this podcast is provided on an as-is basis, with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. The opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the discussants and not of any organization.